Welcome to Respiratory HQ's Journey to Success podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Peel, and in today's episode, we are continuing our series of podcast dealing with study strategies. So if you're just tuning in, the last two weeks, we've brought students in that are in their second year of RT schools to talk with us and to share what they are using to study for their test in class and to bring that knowledge base over into clinical practice. So we're going to continue on with that today, bringing two other students in. Let's see what they say. Welcome back, everybody. We are continuing this series of podcasts dealing with study strategies, and today we have two students, Stacy Sampley and Caitlin Heisterman. They are Weatherford College students, um, again, part of our family and our program, so welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, and we are just going to talk about how you started studying when you first entered our program. So you are right at a year. You, this week, you started your second year of RT school, officially second year students. So, okay. So when you started last year, not knowing anything about our program, what was your study strategy coming into that first semester of RT school? So I have been out of school for like 12 years. I'm a very lazy student very upfront. I hate studying. I hate doing the work that needs to be put into it. So I wasn't really sure how I was going to start studying. Didn't know what I was going to do to get motivated. Um, so I tried to get with a bigger group. That was my idea of like a study group, different people, um, as many people in minds as I could to kind of like pick through and like feed off of was my thought process when I came in. Okay. And Stacy, what was yours? So for me, I think I really relied heavily on the slides and the textbook. Um, I thought, you know, if I read through the chapters and I got the information down um, and I got a good foundation from the slides that that was going to be the best thing for me. And so that's kind of what I did. I really relied heavily on those um, subjects. Okay, and so starting off, you got through your first few tests. How was, how, how did those strategies work for you both? I feel like for me, I almost was overwhelmed when I studied with a group of people because there's a lot of people's voices and personalities and we don't always mesh with people. Um, especially when you're trying to learn stuff. I think it brings out the worst in people sometimes because they get so flustered and frustrated. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, we ki I kind of like dialed back what I did with other people. Um, Stacy and I knew each other before this, so we had a pretty solid friendship going into the program. And we just kind of gravitated towards each other. So I feel like mine morphed in from like a group dynamic to like a single person that I can talk to and talk things out over and study when we were able to. Okay. So your study group of a large group went yeah. down to a, a study group still, but as a group of two. Yeah. With occasionally people here and there, depending like if a big test comes up, but it definitely worked better for me to not rely on so many people. And it was kind of hard. Um, I have two small children. 
So working with Stacy, who also has two small children, she understands the hardships of like setting after bedtime. And when you have a larger group, they don't always have that and they can't accommodate you as well. Makes sense. That makes it. So Stacy, you, after getting the through the first few tests, what did you think about the strategy you were employing and did it need to change? Um, so I think I definitely moved from like relying on the slides as much to more like discussion. Um, I feel like I learn best with discussion and like uh, rationalization. So I stopped really like, I used my slides as just a guideline, but then once I got the information from lecture, I really moved away from going back and reading the textbook and I'm went more into, well, where is this, like, where can I apply this? How can I use this? Where will I see this type of more studying? And I would kind of, you know, make up scenarios for Caitlin and I, and we would kind of walk through it and kind of use it like that. So I started utilizing more critical thinking versus like trying to memorize or keep it all together that way. Okay, so let's let's talk about that then because you've said the word critical thinking and this is one of the things we try to develop in our T school and and for some people this is a it's it's hard for some people, you know, um going through A and P and micro or maybe a history class, there's a lot of memorization in, in those type of classes. Does memorization serve you well in our T school? I think for the basics it can. Like you have to know terminology. You have to know a lot of stuff that you can't just rationalize. You have to know what it is. Um, but once you get further into it, you have to understand how those basics interchange and how they work with each other. Like you have to know the dynamics between your heart rate and your respiratory rate. Like you can't just be like, oh, that's that doesn't have anything to do with lungs because it's not a part of the lungs. So you can learn the basics by memorizing, but it doesn't serve you well further on. Right. You have to learn rather than recall to apply and analyze yes. the situation. Because that's really what patient care is, is analyzing what's going on, right? And applying the knowledge you've gained. Okay. Let's see if we can kind of talk. You two have been working together for more than a year, really, if you knew each other going in, right? Mm -hmm. So y'all can have those conversations that get into critical thinking really pretty quickly, I think. So let me give you just a topic, okay? Let's talk about oxygen therapy. And so this is it's one of the topics we had in your first year, and, and we taught that there are three indications to oxygen therapy. One is to treat acute hypoxemia. Another is to decrease cardiopulmonary workload. And a third is to treat signs and symptoms of chronic hypoxemia, right? All right, if you're studying, you're definitely going to memorize those three things, right? Yes. But do you stop there with those three things? Do you stop with just the memorization? No, I, we definitely keep it rolling and we kind of like, where does this fit? When will we see this? How does it? So, you know, we would say, obviously, we know that acute hypoxemia is low O2 levels in the blood. And then I would ask Caitlin, you know, what, where can we find the measurement? What measurement will we utilize to define acute hypoxemia? 
And then we go into um, like the PaO2 is what you look at when you look at your levels, medium, mild, moderate, all that medium, <laughs> um, severe hypoxemia. And then we can talk about like, okay, if you have severe, what are we going to see in a patient? Like visually in a patient assessment. So Stacey, what are you looking for when you walk in a patient room? Like if you know someone has hypoxemia, what are the signs that you're going to see? And so for me, the first thing that comes to mind is the body's first response is increased respiratory rate. So I'm going to be tachypnic. I'm going to be tachycardic. I'm going to have an increased work of breathing if I have hypoxemia, um, all of that together. Which yes. leads to your nasal flaring and your uh, muscle usage, tripod positioning, like all the different assessments when you are doing a patient assessment. It's not just, oh, I know they're going to be breathing, but how do you know they're breathing hard? It's not just, oh, they're, they're breathing 120 per minute. There's going to be visual signs by looking at someone and it's like, okay, there's tripod positioning. Well, why is that helping? Why is that helping get air in and air out? So it's just... So y'all just keep keep that conversation going. So, okay, guys that are y'all that are listening at home, one of the really important things about developing critical thinking skills is really having a partner to bounce these ideas off of. You know, they ask questions back and forth to each other and they challenge each other for the answers. And if a question is asked, what, what happens guys? If, if one of you asks a question and you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. What do you do? Because that happens sometimes, doesn't it? We usually oh, yeah. will try to ask another leading question, um, just to try to build on it. Sometimes we have to go back and kind of reword things and rephrase things to try to get the other one there. And then sometimes if we don't get there, then, you know, We'll say this is what we were looking for. Where were what were you thinking? And sometimes, you know, it ends up in a thorough discussion and a more deeper understanding of what yeah. we were trying to get to. So do you ever a lot actually? Like there's times I'll ask a question and she goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I'm like, okay, well let me figure out how to reword because a lot of times it's not that you don't know the information. It's just how it's presented to you is not efficient for you. So if you have a partner that understands how you think and how you process information, I think it can be beneficial because then I can ask the same question in a different way. And she is like, oh, yeah, that's what you're asking for. And then next time she sees it a different, like the first way, she's like, that's right. We talked about that and we went into a 20 minute discussion about it. And, and so those discussions do move beyond where you start. Right. And and. Y'all have deeper discussions about how things tie together, mm -hmm. which that's a, a big part of critical thinking also to not only challenge for answers, but maybe when you don't have an answer or maybe your discussions get to a place that neither of you are certain of the answer, then you have to figure it out, right? You have to go someplace else for that knowledge. Where do you go for that knowledge if that happens? Review. <laughs> okay. I really, it just kind of depends. Um, Depends on where we're at. If we're at clinic studying, we'll ask another student, someone else that we know, like, is on kind of the same wavelength as us, um, or an instructor. It really just uses all of our um, resources. So we go to reviews. I think we've skipped maybe a few because of kids' issues, but 
I feel like Stacey and I are at most reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and we text, I have like five or six people in class that I text like, hey, do you remember this? Or hey, have you heard of this? Just to kind of get more feedback than just our two points of view. Yeah. And so I think this is another point that really study groups, even if they're small groups, groups of two or three are highly beneficial. And you guys are even reaching out when you don't know outside to other sources. And those sources predominantly are people, right? Your peers or your instructors or you're going to reviews. And that's a critical portion of critical thinking skills. And so one of the things, um, just this week, as a matter of fact, we were we were uh, kidding with the first year students because we don't have a lot of men that come into our program. And oftentimes we don't have a lot of men graduate. And so we have four men in our program now. And, and I, I made a joke and I said, hey, girls, be nice to the guys. They don't, you know, that, you know, we, we want to keep them. And, and so one of them asked, well, why, why do the men not make it? And I don't think it's that the men don't make it. I think that the people that we lose, that we don't retain, the students that we accept that we don't carry through to graduation, I went back six years just looking. I'm like, why are we not keeping people? I went back six years and I looked at everybody that we had lost in our program. And the, the vast majority of those people were isolated people that didn't want to study with each other. And I don't think, and this uh, I feel bad now that until I started really hearing from you guys how beneficial study groups were, I haven't looked at our loss of students based off of that aspect. And now I go back and I'm thinking it's glaringly obvious. So as an instructor, I would tell all students out there, you need to be making sure you engage with other students. It doesn't have to be a big study group. It can be something very small, but it has to happen. It's it's valuable. So, good deal. Okay, so now let me ask you, you're going now into your second year, and you've got a pretty solid foundation of respiratory care, right? We're, we are getting into upper, upper level things. So, what are you doing now as second year students to help that knowledge base grow? Um, I know last semester, Stacy talked a lot about um, how much she dug into charts and did some self-guided studying during clinic and downtime. Um, I'm not a great self-motivator if I don't need to be. Um, I do what I need to do and I get stuff done and I do it accordingly. However, um, that's one thing that I'm actually challenging myself this semester to do is kind of take a leaf out of her book. And anytime I see something that I don't know, whether it be just writing it down for a later um, clarification through instructors or um, looking it up at that moment, if I have time to and kind of dig in on like what it is, why it's causing it. And it's not just respiratory issues. It's the body itself. Everything relates to everything. So if someone's in there and they're intubated, and they have a renal disease, like I need to figure out why that's affecting their breathing to the point of being needed to be innovative. So I'm challenging myself to do that going forward. And I feel like that will help grow my knowledge more than just what I'm being taught in classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's great. That's uh, that. And as a therapist, when you graduate, and you're in clinical practice. 
our knowledge base has to continue to grow. And that's one of the ways it does it is that self-guided study. You can't always rely on a continuing education course to teach you what you need to know. You can go out there for that information. So you, you said a phrase. I love the phrase. You, you, you took a page from Stacy's book about this, this self-study. And so tell us a little bit, Stacy, about what, what you're doing that you're, you're studying during clinicals. What, what does that mean? So um, I'm really trying to obviously relate what we're learning in lecture to what I'm doing at the time. Um, but I think clinic is just a good place to, uh, you have a lot going on and you're never going to get a patient in that bed that fits like textbook where everything is just, and I love rules. And so I would love to have a patient that just follows every single rule. It never happens like that. So I feel like for me, I understand better if I see the whole picture. So I'm really taking my downtime in clinic, going through charts. I'm trying to see how, you know, kidney disease could lead to a pulmonary edema, which could lead to, you know, an acidosis or like really just trying to connect the dots and get the overall picture of what is truly going on with my patient and what needs to be resolved and you know there's a lot of medical words in there so I'll, i do a lot of googling i will look up words or i'll look up you know um lab values that i'm not really sure how they correlate and it's you know why is sodium low when this happened or why is my potassium high what does this cause and i just kind of do a lot of like self-guided learning and it really helps put the full puzzle together. Yeah. And y'all are at the point that that can happen easier. I mean, you couldn't do that necessarily five weeks into the program, right? Right, right now you have that foundation that you've built very solidly to be able to do some of that self-guided study that you have enough information now to start building on top of that foundation without the instructors which is great. I do wish, um, as I learned lab values, I think those are one of the hardest things for me to remember as far as like normal values go and why they affect the body. Mm -hmm. So I remember an intro class, I was like, ugh, I don't need to remember these. All the hospitals have their own ranges. Like I don't need to worry. Um, I kind of wish I would have kind of dove deeper in clinic with lab values because I'm now trying to remember a lot of that stuff and what it causes and if I would have looked, truly looked at some of those and then looked at what the patient had, because, I mean, Sam teaches all that. She teaches, like, if this happens, if you have low potassium, you could have a MI or whatever the case is, or high potassium. Um, so if I see that, I'm like, oh, let me go look and see if there's any heart issues. So I wish I would have looked more into the correlation of things the first semester because I didn't have as much information in my brain. So it was more... It would have been more directed, like more singular of what I'm looking for. Where now we're trying to put bigger pieces together with a bigger puzzle. Gotcha. Yeah, now it, it does that that if you in hindsight going back, if you had to do it over again, you yeah. would spend more time there trying to see the correlation between the abnormalities in your electrolytes to what the patient had going on. Like if they yeah. had a metabolic imbalance looking at their electrolytes to see if there were correlation there. Yeah. yeah. It does because now you got all this other information that you're trying to filter through. Yeah, it does, and and I think that that's absolutely normal. But I think it's great that you're taking the initiative now to know that that's an area 
that for yourself personally, you need to shore up. And as students, as you're going through entering in your second year, moving into your last semester, getting prepped for the board exams, it's good to know where you are weak individually, you know, because you can start shoring that knowledge base up now so that you're not trying to fix everything that last semester, you know, last semester should be just a review of things, not, not necessarily a learning of a lot of things. Yeah. So I think you identifying it now is a great thing. Okay, ladies. So if you had to give, if you came into my first year student class tomorrow morning, it's my first day to lecture to them and you had to give one piece of advice to them, what's your best piece of advice for the new students coming in? Um, I would say to not be timid and ask whatever question you might have. Um, I don't think a lot of us took advantage of class time to clarify information, to ask things that, oh, that might be a really stupid question. I don't want to ask that because everyone's going to look at me and then they're going to think I'm stupid because I asked what an MI was, even though I've never been in the medical field. So why would I do that? I can just look it up later. I think asking questions in the moment is most beneficial. And I think going back, even though we get recordings, um, going back and listening isn't always the same because you can't ask clarification questions. So as much as a good study technique that is, I think you need to ask in the moment, be brave and not just, oh, I'll wait until later. I'll look it up later. Yeah, and I will tell you as an instructor, I, I, I hope everybody hears exactly what you have said because I'd much rather know a person is having a problem as soon as they're having a problem because chances are we can fix it right then and there than to know three months later or six months later that something's a problem and I've tried to build a foundation on something that wasn't solid and now I don't know if anything's solid. So yeah, I think that is a great piece of advice. Asking I, questions. I also told, I always tell like my group of friends or whatever, if they're too embarrassed to ask because once I get to know people, I'll ask anything, I don't care. So I'm like, if you're embarrassed, just send me a text and I'll just ask the question for you. Like it doesn't bother me. I'll ask clarification questions. Even if I know it, I'll ask it for your benefit. Like mm -hmm. if you can find someone who's willing to do that kind of stuff for you, it's helpful as well. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I've never even, I didn't know that that was happening. That's a great <laughs> idea though. <laughs> that is an awesome idea. So if you don't want to ask the question, find somebody that doesn't mind asking it. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Stacy, what would your, your one piece, your best piece of advice? to your, the students? I think mine would be just, you know, spend the first two semesters building the foundation that you want. Because if you're trying to build on something that's wobbly and unsturdy from the get-go, you can't. So it's really important to get all the key things down, obstructive versus restrictive, um, you know, all your terminology, really how patients present, it's really important because it all comes back around, especially once we get into the summer, you're using those diseases for mechanical ventilation. You're using the vital signs for mechanical ventilation. So it really does, it, it's important. It comes back and it's going to come back to haunt you if you don't take the time that you need to actually get it down. So I think, you know, don't blow through those things thinking that they're minute. 
um, because in the grand scheme of things, it all adds up. Yeah, it, it definitely does. So respiratory is not something that you can study, test, and then dump, is it? No, it's yeah, all cumulative. So I was going to piggyback off that a little bit because I remember, I mean, it was a year ago, so maybe I don't remember a lot, but um, <laughs> I remember being so focused on like anatomy and not that it's not important, um, but I feel like I didn't grasp the severity or not the severity, but the importance of like our intro class as far as how people, like she said, how people present. And I wish if I could go back, I would be more diligent about learning the little stuff. Because I'm like, it's little. It doesn't matter. But, like, learning little stuff matters. Yeah, because that ties exactly into that disease process or how they present with mechanical ventilation, how those numbers change on the vent, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Okay, guys, that, this is great stuff. Great, great stuff to think about. Study groups, to be having conversation that builds critical thinking skills. I really appreciate you ladies coming on and and modeling that for us so people have an idea of how to dig deeper deeper past just the list of things to, to gain understanding, not just memorizing. So you guys have been wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, everybody, stay tuned. Next week, we are going to summarize some of the big things we've learned over the last few weeks from these experts that we've brought in for studying. So we will see you next week. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.